I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. I invited my friend and colleague, I guess you would say, Pete Quinones back on the program. Pete is the host of Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, and we wanted to get together and just discuss kind of our change of thinking, our strategies during the coronavirus epidemic. And we thought that the conversation would be one that would be thought-provoking and interesting to all of you. So here is my interview with Pete Quinones. And I am here with Pete. Quinones from Free Man Beyond the Wall. What's up, brother? Doing good, Tommy, man. How are you? Man, yeah, I'm doing, man. Head above water. <laughs> it's about the best that any, anyone could be doing right about now. I mean, we could be doing better. People could be out there um, you know, taking advantage of things. And um, yeah, there's money to be made. But you know, a lot of that might be uh, gray market or even black market. But, but you know. Round upon, round upon them, for sure. Well, and that, that's why I asked you here, man. And is it's as is as this. Well, I can't even say this was what started my transitional thinking, but I think it was the straw that broke the camel's back in the way that I look at anarchism and a way I look at um, libertarianism in general, and uh, just advocating for freedom. Um. I've noticed that a lot of your posts that you're posting are also moving in the same direction as my line of thinking. And I, I have to give a lot of credit. I don't, I know you remember, I don't know if you remember, but I know you had shared um, one of my podcasts, I guess it was about a year ago, right after you had interviewed Per Byland. I think I'm saying that right. Is Per Byland or Per Byland? Per Beeland, actually. Beeland. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I had him on for three episodes before he, he didn't even correct me because he's too nice a guy. But then I heard, um, Jeff Dice pronounce his name and I'm like, Oh crap. <laughs> oh, but I, so it was, it was, I guess it was after one of his episodes that he did with you that my, I started like thinking a little bit differently and not about economics specifically, but about the market and about capitalism in general. And so I started going down the road with uh, Center for Stateless Society that, you know, Sheldon uh, Richmond works with and um, reading a lot of different like panarchy.org, you know, and I ran into Volturing Declare, thanks to Sherry Voluntary. So my mind had been transitioning. And then as you're aware, a couple of months ago, you and I and uh, Sal were, you know, chatting back and forth about agorism and, and what books to read. And so that kind of got me shifted in a little bit of a different direction. And I've also, I've noticed that your, you know, posting and the things you're talking about is moving along the same lines as me. So I wanted to just kind of talk about the progression, like how, where you're moving with your, your, your libertarianism, uh, as of now, what you're reading and things of that nature. Well, I've always been an agorist. Um, there are things that I don't, talk about that I've done in the past that would definitely be black market. Um, but, you know, I've talked about the fact that, you know, I worked under the table for years, worked for cash for years, sold bootleg DVDs out of the back of my uh, car and um, would flip guns, which was legal-ish in Georgia, you know, get one cheap and turn around private sale. Private sales are, you know, legal here, and, but you know, it's they don't want to see you becoming a private dealer or something like that. And right. that could actually, that that could happen. Uh, but I didn't realize the strategy behind it. And, you know, Sal helped me a lot with that. And Sal kept at me, you know, Konkin said that really you should only be going, if you're trying to recruit people into, into agorism, agorism, that you should really only go after like the really hardcore end caps. And 
I guess Sal saw me as that. And, you know, as somebody who's done agorism his whole life, basically, I remember growing up, the first nice set of hockey gloves I ever had fell off the back of a truck, as we say in New York. You know, they were $65, $70 gloves, leather. And, um, you know, we got them for 20 bucks. And, you know, that's because, you know, know, the door on the back of a truck just opened up and it fell while it was driving or something (laughs) like that. And so I was always open to it, but never really embraced it and wanted to talk about it a lot. So listening to Pear, talking to Sal a lot, you know, I've had dinner with Sal a couple times when I go up to New York. Mm-hmm. It just, it always bothered me that the things I was talking about, the things I, were re- I was reading didn't have a strategy other than educate, educate, educate. And once I... Yeah, I had read Konkin's and Agoras Primer three or four years ago. I understood it, but not really. Yeah, I knew what he was trying to say, but it was like, yeah. Well, I read it again recently, and it was the purest laissez-faire capitalism uh, free market I've ever read. And then I got New Libertarian Manifesto. Which, uh, which is more extensive and talks a lot more about strategy and really gets into counter markets. And that really, really spoke to me. And then there's another book that Wally Conger put together for um, using some of Sam's work from the past about what's called agorist class theory. And it's based off of Marx's class theory, but it actually smashes it and destroys it. And it makes you, after you read it, you're not, you you won't be shamed if you use the term wage slave anymore, because you will understand that agorism eliminates the wage slave. And, you know, wage slave is just somebody who works for a wage. And then the government, the slave master comes in and takes a portion of that money away from you. And, you know, a lot of times people will be like, well, I'm getting 30 to 40% of my income taken away. At what percentage do I stop being a slave? And that's what a lot of ANCAPs, a lot of libertarians use as an argument against taxation. Agorism changes, answers that question because you're not paying taxes and you never will. You know, are you going to do everything you can to avoid that? Right. So yeah, um, I would say really uh, an agorist primer is where I started went on to New Libertarian Manifesto, which is Konkin. And there's a version on Amazon, and you can get it on eBay, of New Libertarian Manifesto and Agorist Class Theory in it. And then I read, after I got did New Libertarian Manifesto, and somebody did an audio version of it on, um, on, eBay, on um, YouTube. There's an audio version of Agorist Primer on there, but it's missing a couple chapters for some reason that I can't figure out. But, and then I, I think um, agorist class theory is like um, at the most 30 pages. And that just really solidified everything. And yeah, now I'm just full on, you know, gray markets, black markets. Um, you know, I really think it's the only logical, I think it's the only strategy we have i mean i can do podcasts i'm on i released what episode number 411 of my podcast today i mean i I have people all the time who contact me and say hey you know you know i I became an anarchist i became a libertarian because of your podcast and everything keep up the good work but that really only goes so far and i think history shows that people doing agorism not knowing the term, not knowing that they were doing it and not having any strategy and strategy for doing it have taken down empires and helped to take, been a part of taking down empires. So once that real, I got that realization in my head and it solidified everything that I had been reading, you know, I just decided to take a totally different, um, take a different tact, but you know, there, there's also, there's an external factor 
that really put me over the top. If you want to talk about that. Yeah, we can, we can move into that direction, but, uh, just before we, we get there, um, what I, what, what I, what kept popping into my mind was this last, um, I think it was the last interview you did with Sal. I try to keep up with all your podcasts, but you release, release them so fast. I'm, I fear I'm behind. I, I think I still need to listen to the last one you did with Vin Armani. I think that's the one I'm at right now. That one oh. is, it's very important. Um, I'm stoked. <laughs> he just, well, and just forewarned, the, his audio quality isn't good on it because he just moved, which is something that he talks about in there, mm. which is very important because he talked about looking for someplace to move in the world where he wouldn't be touched by all this. And he had just moved and he hadn't had a chance to unpack all his equipment and everything. So he was using computer audio. But mm -hmm. what's funny is I thought it bothers me because that's just how I am. But nobody has complained about his audio because what he's talking about is so important and rich. Yeah. And, and typically whenever you get into one of those podcasts that when somebody's talking about really important information about five minutes in, you don't even notice that the audio is, doing anything weird. Um, but so your last conversation with Sal, he made a comment, man. And it, and it like, it, it was like, yes, that's what I've been trying to identify. I've been trying to put my finger on that. And he had said that ANCAPs and all other libertarians, maybe it wasn't on your podcast. Maybe it was on his, so one of his own podcasts, but he said, ANCAPs and all other libertarians are by nature, collectivists because they are trying to convince a majority of people to pursue liberty, whereas agorists are pursuing liberty in, on their own and they're doing it, doing it themselves and they're not depending on everybody else to join along. And the more people that join along, fine, that's great. But if not, I'm still going to live as free as I possibly can. And that really like struck me. I was like, that's, that's exactly what I've been trying to, to connect with. I've been trying to, to find the words to express that. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, that the, the evangelism, and this is how David Nolan put it, the evangelism of the Libertarian Party is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. If you want to evangelize and you want to educate, then okay, go for it. But the fact is, I don't want to wait for somebody else, for everybody else to jump on board with the ideas of liberty before I experience liberty in my life. That's really important. It's basically what libertarianism is, is evangelicalism. It's just going out there and preaching a message. Well, as somebody who spent time in church, people will tell you that, doing and setting an example is more important than what your words are. And I think that's what agorism is, is you're not only talking about liberty and you're talking about ways that you can, an individual can become you know, free of the state and, you know, really just drop off of the state's radar, but also that you're showing that it works, that right. it can be done. And, yeah, you know, there's a lot of a lot to that. I mean, what you said though can make it sound as if you decide to become an agorist and now you become an agorist and that's it. And you don't worry about other people. But something something else that um, you know, like if you read Konkin and Sal's talks about this, he talked about it on my podcast, but he also he had a great episode recently, WTF is agorism. And it's a great episode. I, anybody should go read um, Sal's podcast, is the Agora, and it's a it's an insane, insanely good episode, and and so rich. I've listened to it a few times. Um, what he talks about is freedom cells, where agorists will most agorists like other agorists because they're entrepreneurs. Um, they're doing for themselves. And also, you know, there is safety in numbers. So you, you can have these freedom cells. And he talked about, he talked about like um, the Bitcoin community that's popped up in uh, Miami, um, the 
don't comply crew in Texas. He talked about, and he also talked about people in New Hampshire, not the free state project LLC, but the, you know, the crypto community up there, the people that are operating outside of the system and how getting together and how numbers will work and how it will influence people around you. One thing he does, you know, one thing that Konkin and Sal got this from Konkin as well is you don't want to try to go somewhere and take over the government because government's force, government's a, a violation of the, you know, the zero aggression principle. So you know, there's a big difference between people going to New Hampshire because the regulations on crypto, if you're starting a crypto community or a crypto business, like Ben Armani did when he moved there, how there's no regulations and you can pretty much do what you want, you know, and if you're operating crypto, you're not paying taxes um, against going up there and trying to take over the government, which is not, I, I would, it's one of the reasons why I've officially, and I'm done with the Libertarian Party. It was just, that is not, it, there's nothing for me there. And um, then I can go more into what I was going to, what I was going to talk about, what really caused me to make this gigantic turn. Okay. Well, let's go there. Like what, what happened? How did, what made you turn there? Because like I said, I think we turned the same corner within the same period of time. And I, I, I think you personally, I think you have a better as far as you've, you're more read up on it. I just kind of, it was just kind of, I noticed my attitude and my thought process shift. Whereas I've seen that it, it feels like you're a lot more read up on exactly what you're doing and more studied on exactly what you're doing than I am. You know what I'm saying? If that makes any sense, I'm moving, I'm moving a lot by instinct. It, it feels like to me and my instinct just had me kind of turn this corner where I was like, what the hell? I don't know about this. Well, when this is over, I'll just send you a link to um, three pre three free PDFs of really short books that you should read, and will it'll get you up to speed. But it's this coronavirus thing. This thing, I immediately, immediately saw what was happening. I'm not saying that there's not a coronavirus out there. I'm not saying that it's not affecting certain people in a way that's causing them to lose their lives. I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who are dying positive of the coronavirus who aren't dying of the coronavirus, but I also know for a fact I've talked to people who say, yes, I mean, this person didn't, you know, this person was in poor health, but now their lungs are just basically shutting or filling with fluid and shutting down. So I know that it's causing certain people problems, but more than anything, I'm not scared to get a virus. I've had many viruses and um, I think I've already had this one. And I think I was pretty much just asymptomatic. I think I had a flu kind of taste in my mouth for about 10 days. And I was talking to somebody today, um, a professor at the Mises Institute, and he said that his son up in New York lost sense of smell for 10 days. And then it came back and then he went and got tested and he came up, you know, he has antibodies, but that was the only thing that happened to him. Um, but he's 26 years old. So, but then you have 70 year olds and 80 year olds getting it and it's just killing them. Right. So I'm not saying that there is not a coronavirus out there, but what I am saying is what Ram, what Rama Manuel said, never let a crisis go to waste. And the government is using this to institute a <laughs> a future tyranny that is going to make what happened after 9-11 just pale. It's going to pale in comparison. I mean, 9-11, what happened after... I was an adult when 9-11 happened. Um, I remember everything. I remember, you know, the Patriot Act. I remember the TSA um, when they... My first trip through the TSA... I remember thinking, wow, things have really changed. This, this is something completely different. This is using an invisible enemy to cause the population to 
after 9-11, people were like, all right, we're going to have to do this. You know, there's an enemy out there that wants to kill us. So, you know, the TSA is fine. Or you need to spy on me, whatever. You know, people are asking for this. People are asking to be protected from the coronavirus. People are going on social media and, or what was the one I heard that um, somebody was jogging in, I think it was LA or it was in like Washington DC or something like that. And somebody just rolls down the window and looks at screams at them and goes, you're killing me. You know, mm. we have uh, basically what this thing has done is it's changed the, the society forever, the culture forever. Um, Asia has, people have been wearing masks there for, for decades. Right. And we're going to see that that's not going away. That's not going away. I mean, from now on, um, you are going to see a lot of Americans adopting wearing a mask. And I don't know that they'll ever, the ones who choose to wear a mask everywhere, I don't know that it'll ever be that they'll look upon the people who aren't wearing a mask um, and not look at them with, with suspicion, you know, like Vin Armani, like Vin Armani says, you know, it's, um, you know, like the Salem witch trials, like, hmm, I think that person might be a witch or, you know, I think that person walking around with a ma without a mask might want to try to kill me, mm -hmm. something like that. And James Corbett has been using this term a lot lately on his podcast and his podcasts are recommended panopticon and what they're going to design because China's already done this. And I've read, I've seen white papers coming out of, uh, um, think tanks in Washington talking about, we just have to adopt the China model where everybody is tracked. If you haven't previously tested positive, you come into, you come within six feet of somebody, they'll track it on your phone. They'll find some way to, to track you and you'll have to go to quarantine for 14 days. Right. And this will be just more adding on to the general public's um, adopting of more police tactics. You know, what, what's funny is since this whole thing started, I really haven't seen the police out on the road a lot. Uh, I've talked about how I talked to a, a police officer in Tennessee and he said that, you know, basically what his department told them was don't get sick. So they're basically not going out there and policing they're, and they're trying to stay off the road, yeah. but it doesn't matter anymore because they can just sit in the, sit in the precinct and people can call them in. People can call in and say, Hey, I saw this person walking with his family and no one's wearing masks. And they got within, you know, five feet of another family who were wearing masks and basically creating a snitch society and put that in, you know, combine that with a technocracy, you know, which we've had for a while. I mean, with all the spying and everything with Snowden, what they used to Snowden to release. And yeah, I mean, I just don't, there's no political solution to this, to what's coming and what's being instituted right now. And, and I keep saying what's coming, but it's already here. There's no political solution to this. The LP doesn't have an, an answer for this. I mean, the LP has an answer. For, they've hardly talked about what's going on. Um, the Democrats and the Republicans are just fighting for power. The LP is not going to have any power. Um, education is, educating people on liberty is, I mean, who, I, I hope there's people <clears throat> who are starting to understand exactly what's going on. Um, but, I don't know. And I, I mean, I know that I'm getting more, more downloads on my episodes. Um, I don't know if that's Agoras coming over to hear what I have to say, or if it's new people, I have a tendency to believe it's new people. Cause I've been on like Dave Smith's podcast recently, right. but that was a good I, I just, episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that's another important subject, but very, very much so. Yes, I agree with you. But the, but the I just don't see there's if there's no political answer, what do you do? Just keep doing the same thing over and over again, just podcasting and posting memes on the internet. 
now you got to start acting and you really have to try to start influencing people to act. And ever since, I mean, it's only been a few weeks now that I've been talking about, you know, going full blown agorist or, you know, you can, you can have a full-time job and still be an agorist and make a real difference. Mm. But I'm seeing people, you know, really attracted to the message and it's, and I've only had a couple people comment, well, I just don't see how this is going to help. And normally it's people within the LP right. who are like, Oh, why are you leaving kind of thing? And you know, who wants you to stay around? But I mean, look what's happened with the libertarian party recently. Um, he had some judge, some Republican judge, um, jump in and now people are taking him seriously. And then Justin Amash, the guy who sided with the CIA twice in the last three years, you know, in the impeachment and in Russiagate with no evidence whatsoever, he's going to join, jump in and join the libertarian party. I mean, I think I got out right at the perfect time. I mean, there's, you know, as Sting said, and wrote in <laughs> one of the police songs, there is no political solution there. There isn't. And I don't know, I don't know why it took me this long to figure that out. I mean, I knew it for years and then I allowed myself to be convinced, Oh, well, maybe we can use the LP for good. No, no, no. It's, we got to concentrate on doing things um, outside of the system and uh, working to working to make the system as weak as possible. And I think counter economics is the way to do that. Yeah. And well, I, one of the, one of the podcasts I released here, here recently, I'm sorry about the noise, man. These, these puppies are just having a blast and there's no stopping them. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the podcasts I released here recently was with uh, John Bush and he's, he's an agorist as well. And uh, we were, yeah, we, we had talked about the freedom cell op, uh, project as well. And you know, it, it's it's one of those things it, it's about getting in as many voices as many you know different perspectives of the counter economics and in in that argument as possible in trying to show that there's a wide variety of ways to use this because there were so many ways in my past that I had participated in counter economics without even knowing you know what I was what I was doing I was just surviving uh, you know, I, that was just put into my head. You have to survive, you know? And so there were a lot of ways I, I participated. And then now I'm looking at a way to make it a lifestyle, you know, to make it the way I make my living, the, the way I go about my business. And we've, we have some things that we've done over the years, again, without having an, a label for it and just, making sure that we are okay, my wife and myself. And I agree with you. Like there was something, I don't know, you had said it and I've been thinking it, you had said it on one of your podcasts, but there was, it, there was a paradigm shift when this started. It was, it wasn't like a weekend um, to, and I hadn't even really heard about the virus. I didn't even really know what it was, but then I, I started seeing people on Facebook talk about it and the way they were talking about it. I was like, this is weird. Like what's going on here? And then somebody's like, well, I'm surprised you're not keeping up with this. And I was like, well, I didn't think anything of it. It's just, you know, it's SARS. It's just another virus. Like shit happens, you know, like <laughs> there are viruses. And when you're in the lab playing with these things and they end up getting released sometimes, and that's just the way it goes. And, uh, and, but then I started paying attention to what people were saying and I was like, yeah, I don't know, man, this is, this is getting really authoritarian really fast. And it was coming from people I didn't expect to be authoritarian, you know? And that's what got me like kind of backing up away from, Oh, there's not going to be a political solution to this. So we're not going to fix, you know, we're not going to spread Liberty through the same way that we were going to spread it, you know, just a month ago. There's, there's got to be a change of a like I, we have to change strategy in a dynamic way in order to match this. And as you brought up, you know, Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. We have to look at it the same way. We can't let this crisis go to waste. 
And we have to lead by example and show people that there's a way to get away from the politics and away from the government, you know, um, authoritarianism, the technocracy that's been creeping up on us for so many years and that we can, you know, create our own communities outside of their scope and their, their vision for what America could be or should be. Well, I mean, I really think if people look into the history of how counter markets have worked in Soviet Union, because of inefficiencies, the black market just took over. And if people wanted things, they had to hustle for them and had to rely on ways outside of the system. I've talked about how when I went to Iceland a few years ago, I had had dinner with a family there and I knew that food was insanely expensive and alcohol was even more expensive and they had, their fridge was filled with food and filled with meat. Meat's really expensive there. Vegetables, not so much, but meat and alcohol are ridiculously expensive. And they told me, they said, well, we don't buy it at the store. You know, a boat comes in and someone buys it and then it gets redistributed and, we get it. They, they use the term black market and that's the way people survive. And, you know, Michael Malice likes to talk about how North Korea, how the black market in North Korea works and how it's working to take down that system by, you know, people sneaking in, um, you know, like episodes of South Korean soap operas to see how people outside are living and, you know, I mean, imagine if the movie The Interview made it in there and just how you know irreverent that is towards, you know, their great leader and people going across the river into China to you know, bring goods back in and how they will um, bribe the, the guards when they're coming back. I mean, it's not, we're not at that point here, but I mean, everyone, you know, my favorite, like um, gray market activity is like the shade tree mechanic. I, I don't want to take my car to a, a shop and pay, you know, 90 to $110 an hour labor. I'd rather take it to the guy down the street who, you know, fixes it, you know, just says, all right, I'll do it for this. And then I give him cash and that's it. Well, or, you know, hopefully people start taking cryptocurrency silver soon enough. But um, yeah, I mean that, deprives the system of taxes and i mean there's tons of ways that you can do it you know there's tons of farmers markets you can go to that aren't official farmers markets we have farmers markets here in atlanta but they're nothing more than like a gigantic store it'll say buford highway farmers market but you're still paying taxes on things it's like i'd rather go to a farmer's market at like a church parking lot where you're not that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and Yeah, there's, yeah, there's ways that you can, I was, I forget what they're talking about, talking about Italy and how Italy's system was so just destroyed, like so many people were working for the government and they had short days where they would get off at like, they'd show up to work at eight and work till two and then they'd get off. And then so many people went and started work there under the table job work their um you know their cash jobs and everything so i mean it's it's really the only i mean look at the amount of money they're printing look at the amount i mean it's it's remarkable i mean that that two trillion dollars is nothing compared to what's coming so they're going to need to pay they're going to need a certain amount to pay the interest on these loans that they're taking well they're getting that interest from tax money they they're not they can't print that i mean i guess they could but i mean that would be just awesome putting debt upon debt upon debt but you know, the more we starve them you know the more it's just going to fail but the great thing about what agoras can do is if we go into that with the mindset that we're doing this so that we can create a free market a black and gray market right now but as the white market becomes less powerful and the black and the gray grows once all that goes away the black and the gray can take over and be the laissez-faire market because the honestly the black and the gray market is the only free market we're ever going to have 
right. It, right now, it's the only free market we have. And in order to destroy the state, you know, we don't want another state to replace it. We want people to look and go, oh, you know, when I was without, the black and the gray took care of me. That's where I went, you know. So, you know, like people making masks at home on Etsy and, um, you know, all these ways that, um, I mean, I was talking about 3D printing masks, 3D printing ventilators. We have a mutual friend. We have a mutual friend that just 3D printed his first mask uh, yesterday. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the possibilities are endless, but if we go into this, you know, the Soviet Union didn't go into this saying that the agorists there weren't like, oh, well, we'll take down the system and then this, this market will take over and everything. No, they didn't, they didn't have that. We just know that it works because they were doing it, but they didn't have an end game in mind. They were just trying to survive. Right. Here we have an end game in mind. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the, I think that's where, at least with my, my mindset and the way that my mind is structured, I guess you could say, is I get really, I get really bogged down in philosophy and history. And, and it's just, I love reading about it and I love learning about it. And then I try to apply, you know, the lessons and and this, that, and the other to uh, modern day. And a lot of people don't look at, you know, look at life that way. And they're, they're incapable of, of drawing those parallels. And by stepping out, in, in kind of changing my approach, I've, I've noticed that my, what I'm trying to do now is find solutions that every person can grab onto and say, okay, yeah, this is, this is a good, this is a good way to move forward. This is something I can actually utilize in my daily life. And especially for those people that, you know, are out of work nowadays, you know, because they, they were mandated basically unemployed. And, and so these, this is a, is, is dire as the times feel, I think there's a real opportunity to attract a lot of people like that by teaching that there are other ways to, to survive and to, to maintain your, your living. And, you know, you bring up the shade tree mechanic and, you know, things like that down here are, um, you know, that's, that's pretty, you know, common down here where I live out in the country, out in the middle of nowhere. There's a lot of people working for cash under the table. You know, uh, the guy who delivers my, you know, uh, materials for my driveway, my gravel and, and all that, he works under the table. He didn't, he didn't file all that you know, well, I don't know how much of it he does file on his taxes, but I know he doesn't file all of it. And I'm always sure to pay him in cash, you know, so he doesn't have to, you know, and, or the guy that comes around and fixes my tractor, you know, he's, I know he's retired. This is all just extra money in his pocket as far as he's concerned. So there's a lot of that that goes on and, and people that aren't philosophically, you know, caught up. And it's a matter of finding those people and maybe talking philosophy with them a little bit, but mainly just creating a community with those types of people that are willing to operate in their, their own best interest outside the system. Because that's like you said, that's, what's going to take them down. They're not getting that those interest payments for all this money they're printing, you know? Um, And how long is it going to be before, as I brought up with Mike Meharry, how long is it going to be before countries like China begin dumping uh, the u.s bonds because the the dollar's not worth a fuck yeah i mean I, people like the idea of working to get paid for cash now i'm not saying not everybody can do it i mean if you have a if you have a mortgage payment and you have kids things like that i mean that's tough but still i mean you could work to make sure that you're not paying one red penny over what you should be paying for in taxes and um you know then do as much as you can outside of the system at that yeah and i think if anything that i could say that 
this whole COVID thing should teach people, especially with almost 10% of the population unemployed at this point, uh, just in the last month, mm-hmm. is you have to develop a side hustle. You have to develop some kind of way to generate income um, away from if you still have a regular job, your regular job, or, you know, I think a lot of people are going into the gig economy right now who are trying to develop, you know, side hustles. And I mean, I've got some things that I'm working on right now and, um, yeah, but I still been doing my Agoras thing for, I never stopped since, you know, 2008. But yeah, I mean, I just don't see, I don't see any other way. I mean, it, it's a proven method and it is one that really once you decide to do it, you're free. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you will feel, once you decide to embrace it, you will feel the, the weight come off your shoulders about how am I going to, how am I going to get through this? And it's, um, it's exciting, man. Once you, once you read the Conkin's two books, Agoras Primer and um, New Libertarian Manifesto, it really opens your eyes to what can be done, you know, what must be done. That was the the title of my episode with my last episode with Ben Armani was what must be done. And I stole that. It's from a a Hoppe speech from 1997, Hans Hermann Hoppe speech. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, he actually mentions in there, you know, getting, getting things down to as small as possible and getting political, um, getting political locally. And I'm not trying to, um, you know, take anything away from Hoppe, but I, I just don't see that as being in the age, in this age of coronavirus and what's going to happen going forward. I don't see that being a rational strategy. And I think that stuff that Vin, Vin Armani is talking about, what Sal's talking about, what I'm, you know, really trying to educate from picking things from different sources and having a couple ideas of my own. I think it's the only way to go forward. I really think it's the only way that people are going to feel free because what are they talking about? Um, Oh, we're going to have food shortages. We're going to have meat shortages. We're going to, um, you know, <laughs> when was the last time people saw toilet paper on the, uh, on the show? A lot of people haven't seen it on the shelf in a long time. And, I mean, somebody's going to have to step in and uh, provide that. Or, you know, say you have to have vaccination records to fly. Right. Well, if you don't want to have, if you don't want to get this vaccine, which they're rushing. So, I mean, if they were rushing to design a car or if they were rushing to design a new plane, I'd be like, I'm not flying on that. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's going to need more time. I mean, there are people who are going to be like, okay, I need a counterfeit vaccine thing, or I need, you know, some way to whatever app they want you to keep on your phone to show that you, you're vaccinated. We're going to need people who are able to produce those for people mm-hmm. who want to travel and don't want to take, don't want to take some vaccine. So, I mean, the possible, there are a lot of possibilities <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, this is why the change is I just see authoritarianism. I mean, this makes not what happened after nine 11 look just tame. I mean, right. th- this is, I mean, the whole thing, the <laughs> more than agorism. I wish I could convince people that, yeah, this has changed us forever. And then it's not for the best. Right. I remember you had done a, you had done a podcast. I think it was right after Trump was elected and you were talking about the wall. I want to say you, you were talking to Dave Smith about it and you had, uh, you had said that if they actually accomplished building this wall, what do you think is going to happen if there's another nine 11, that wall is going to be used to keep you in. And you know, looking back at that comment, uh, I, I was, I just kind of like, yeah, well, little did we know that it was going to be 10 times worse than nine 11, <laughs> so, at least the reaction, you know, the way that they reacted. Well, what's funny about that is that was in January. 
Was it? I thought. See, I thought it was a long time ago. I thought it was like right that after was, Trump was elected. That was January third. That was Friday, January third. No, Jesus. Of this year. Yay. That I said that. And then I remember, then I had forgotten I had said that. And then some, a listener was like, or some, I forget, I forget who said it, but someone's like, do you remember you asked in January, you asked Dave what it would be like after, if another 9-11 happened tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And I couldn't have imagined anything worse than what's happening right now. Yeah. This is a lot worse than, than what I had imagined would happen. I've been thinking yeah, I mean, about you saying that quite a they bit. They didn't even have to... <laughs> They didn't even have to build a wall. Yeah. The wall is imaginary at this point. I mean, no one wants, I mean, who wants to, what are you going to fly to have vacation in France? What are you going to visit? What are you going to do when you're there? Mm. They've basically shut the world down. Yeah. 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 It's fucking crazy. I mean, this is beyond anything Orwell could have ever imagined. You know, it's like, you look at it and you're just like, this is nuts. This is, this is like living in a movie. This is incredibly insane. I know it's been a meme, but you know, COVID nineteen eighty four really is the uh, <laughs> yeah, really is perfect. Yeah, really is perfect for this. But you know, I was talking to, like I said, Vin Armani. Um, he moved. He you know he he left, and I know where he he doesn't want to announce where he went. It'll be, and I'm not allowed to say, but it'll be clear soon. Mm-hmm. Um, people will know where he is, but. It's someplace that I've been looking at for about six months. Not, oh, I'm going to move there, but hmm, this is a possibility. Let me check this out a little bit more. And then he told me that he, he was on the last plane in. So like he and his family got there and then they shut down flights in. Oh, Jesus. So, you know, it's think about it. Now you're talking about that wall. You're talking about, you know, what, what would happen if there was another 9-11? Yeah. And a wall's gone up. I think... Who is it? Whoever oh, I was talking to Salerno earlier today, and he was saying that um, people are flying and they're saying there's like seven people on a plane. Wow. It makes social distancing easy. Yeah. Of course, social distancing inside a tube is, you know, <laughs> is interesting, but, you know. <laughs> True. But, yeah, I mean, it, it really, it solidified it, you know, I mean, I didn't leave the country or anything, but it, it did solidify my thought, thought process when I left Houston and I moved out here out in the middle of nowhere. And it, I just, I look around and, you know, like you were talking about the food shortages and this, that, and the other, I was like, I'm glad I did. I, I'm glad I made the choice I did. You know, I mean, we, oh, we yeah, have, man, you made you made a good choice. We have yeah, a stocked pond. We have land and we're just kind of like, all right, you know, I got, I have ammunition. There's a gun shop down the, down the street that always has 30, 30 ammunition. If I need to go hunting, I can always go hunting, you know? So it's like, all right, we're good. The worst part for me is, uh, you know, still being a truck driver and you're talking about whether or not they're going to force vaccines onto, uh, onto people that want to fly and people that want to travel. I'm wondering if they're going to do the same thing to us because I was just told, see, I'm due up for a medical examination. We have to get a medical examination every two years. And uh, mine is, mine is coming up. Actually, I'm supposed to go get it done next week. And uh, they're, they're going to make me take a test for, for the coronavirus for COVID-19. And they're, uh, they're forcing those tests on us during these medical examinations. And I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, I'll probably, you know, not whatever. I know I don't have it. I haven't felt sick. And I, I think I had it like you. I think I had it already uh, because I had gotten sick for the first time in 15 years and it laid me up for about five days. And then I was fine after that. But, um, but yeah, so I'm like, are they going to try to force us into vaccines, you know, to continue driving? And if that's something well, they... Cons- well, I was going to say... you. That's travel something. so much. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's possible. And that's the thing. And, you know, I was just thinking if that's something they do, they're going to be out at least one driver because I'm not doing that. You know, they're talking about putting microchips in this crap. They're talking about putting this in there and that in there, you know, and the last time I got any vaccines was when I was, when I joined the military 
and uh, I got sick as a dog while I was in basic training. Ended up coming down with pneumonia. So I'm just not, I'm just not doing the, I don't do the vaccine thing. Yeah, man, it's, um, it is a different world. And the sooner people figure that out, you know, you were talking earlier about how you went on Facebook and you went on social media and that's how you found out about this. The amount, whenever something like this happens, you know, and, and, you know, I'm talking about, um, not only this, but when you, whenever something is out in the zeitgeist and you start seeing libertarians, people who call themselves libertarians, comment on it, it is truly amazing to me how many of them will believe, will just take it as gospel, the word of someone wearing a lab coat. And what I know is that a lot of these researchers and a lot of these experts, well, they get, they're living off of public money. So it's incumbent upon them to, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to go against the grain. I mean, think about all the climates, the, the climate change scientists. Why would they go against the grain? Isn't that going to cut off their funding? I mean, if they, it, the government has decided the narrative and they're paying these people to perpetuate the narrative and come up with evidence for it. Right. I don't, I see, you know, like if you share the video of Dr. Erickson, the guy, the two doctors, one in California in Bakersfield Mm -hmm. who are questioning all of this. Well, if you share that on social media, you will have, and caps and you will have anarchists and libertarians come in sharing mainstream government science to debunk it and science science there had quotes around it yeah and i'm like okay so you don't trust the experts when they say we need to bomb iran but you do trust them when it comes to science because they're wearing a coat yeah, they have a fancy degree. Mm, sorry, I'm. I mean, maybe it's not good. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I'm not smart for doing it. I don't trust anything that's coming across the press. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I question it all. Yeah, and especially, especially if they're getting their money from, you know, their salary is being paid for by stolen money. I'm sorry. I just don't trust them. And if that makes me a science denier or I want grandma to die or whatever, so be it. I don't care. I just don't, I don't trust anything the government says. I mean, that's, you know, straight out of George Carlin mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, or, or Nietzsche. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I had talked to that Dr. Uh, James Lyons Weiler a while back and he, he was talking about, we and, and it was an article that he had written for link on LinkedIn that I had read, and he talks about how the CDC conflates the the uh, the flu deaths and the pneumonia deaths and puts them together to to boost the amount of deaths uh, for flu deaths beyond epidemic status, so that they can push these vaccines on people, you know, because they're being paid by the pharmaceutical companies. You know, so, so they're all in bed. The CDC is all in bed with the pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies wants to sell these vaccines. So they've convinced the CDC since um, 2014, what they've been doing is they've been adding the flu deaths and the pneumonia deaths together to create one number and they call it flu disease deaths. And then they, they use that to, move the flu deaths up to epidemic status. So if they're doing that with, with the flu and pneumonia, which have been around for a long fucking time, this is, they, these aren't new. And so they've been around forever and people are believing these stats of 50,000 plus and 60,000 plus that are coming out every year. What, what makes you think that they're not conflating a bunch of these COVID numbers? And we've been seeing that where they're just, well, we assume that they had, you know, you know, the similar type, uh, 
what do you call it? Um, symptoms as, as COVID would cause. So there that we're going to put that under COVID. Well, wait, we don't know. You're not testing them. You're not even, you know, you're not doing any kind of uh, autopsy or anything on these people after the fact, we're just supposed to believe you. We don't even know. We don't know if COVID like intensified a previous condition and they died of the previous condition that that was already killing them or if the COVID was actually what killed them. You know what I'm saying? And so like, we're, we're just kind of like, okay, whatever. And then people are like, well, we'll know in 18 months. Well, can you imagine what this country is going to look like in 18 months? If this continues, like that's a fucking insane to expect to wait that long. Yeah. I mean, I guarantee you what we're recording this on, um, April 28th, 29th or something like that. Something 2020. Like that. Yeah. I mean, do you really think six, six months from now, it's going to be any different? They say that this will disappear when the weather gets hot. Who knows if that's true or not? Maybe it will. Right. But from everything they're saying, when once it gets cold again, just right back in, you know, it'll be right back. And what are they going to do? They're going to lock people up again for two, three months. I mean, they we already know that UBI is coming and um, Medicare for all universal health care is coming. Right. That's a given. You know, and, but it was like I was talking with Dave Smith. Um, I think he said the last time we recorded or two times ago or something like that. said, and that's the least of our worries. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and I, un- I understand economics. I understand what, it's, what UBI is going to do. I understand what universal health care is going to do. I'm more worried about this security state. I mean, and we already have a security state. We had it before all this. Mm-hmm. Now it's just magnified. Now it's just, I mean, by, right. you know, by a hundred times. Well, and, and what are, you know, here's, here's what I'm thinking as well. It's like, what are they going, what are they going to, are they going to start moving, you know, military personnel from, from, you know, active duty to, you know, to into policing? Like, what are they going to do to conduct this? Because I didn't, I still say that there's going to come a tipping point where there's going to be a majority of Americans that are just sick and tired of this and say, look, man, we've been starving. Y'all have been, y'all devastated our businesses. We're going back to work with or without your approval. And so what are they going to do when it comes to that point? Because people don't want to be locked up in their homes. I mean, some people do, obviously, but there are the majority of people want to be out there making their businesses operate, providing for their family and doing their things. And so when the, when, what are the, how are they going to step in, you know, and are they going to declare martial law nationwide? I mean, how are they going to do this? Greg Abbott has already started talking about trying to open things up here in Texas. And that's fine. That's great. I'm glad he is doing that. But I really think we're going to come to a point where more people are just going to say, I don't care if you're opening it up. We're just going to go do what we do. And y'all are going to have to do what you do. Like that hairdresser in Dallas that just decided, okay, I'm just going to open my shop back up because I can't, I can't continue this. And I'm going to separate the chairs eight feet apart. And I'm only going to allow, you know, three customers in my shop at a time and the other people have to wait in their cars and we'll call them or give them a buzzer or something. And, you know, kind of like when you're at a restaurant, you're sitting on the patio waiting for a table to open up and we're going to operate and we're going to figure out how to operate in this atmosphere and still do the social distancing and this, that, and the other. And I think more, you're going to see more people starting to do that. Well, I hope so, but all they have to do is, well, the curve is back, and then you're going to have the Karens going crazy. And, call, you know, you got to remember these politicians want to get reelected. If enough Karens get loud enough and the Karens are the ones that vote, well, they'll crack down on it. I mean, this is what's happening right now, this shutdown and I think Georgia was the first state to reopen last Friday and it really hasn't reopened. So don't, don't believe the hype. Um, most businesses are 
office work is still not happening. Right. But, you know, I, I think New York is saying they're shut down until May 15th. Who knows, considering that they seem to be the epicenter of all this, allegedly. Um, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are there. I see CNN saying that people that are dying, they're just calling it COVID-19 because they have symptoms. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on, but um, Virginia was talking about till June 10th. I, mean, I just, Jesus. man, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how we go beyond this. I just don't, I don't see. I think the, the loud mouths, especially, yeah, and then we haven't even talked about the fact that you know, the people that are just using this to play politics, you know, the whole left right thing, how, you know, it, it seems like everybody who's like, you need to stay inside, you're killing me. How most of them are Democrats on the left, and how, you know, it's more people on the right who seem to want things to open back up. Although I thought it was funny that um, here in Georgia, when they shut everything down, there, there was no, we have a Republican governor and there was no right wing march on the Capitol saying open things back up. But it, you know, in the States where the um, there's left wing left um, Democrat governors, they get the marches and everything. So I guess right. it depends on, you know, what letters in front of the governor's name, but. Well, and it, it obviously shows. I, that I just also- don't see it, man. It shows too that it's obviously not grassroots. This is coordinated, you know, from these think tanks and this, that, and the other. Like what I would, and that was what I said when I, all these protests started. I'm like, why don't you just do what you want to do? Like instead of asking them for permission, why don't you just go do what you want to do? Go open your shops back up and go back to work. Just at least then you're not stacked up on top of each other, and you're you're actually earning a living no you your your whole idea of a pro of of civil disobedience is begging the these authoritarians for permission no just go do what you want to do like screw them what are they going to do go around the whole town and arrest everybody well i mean that you'd have to take into consideration that everybody who's marching is a business owner a lot of those people are employees and maybe their employers aren't willing to open up. Yeah. Well, I so, protest the employer. You know, you know. <laughs> also, also um, making the claim that, you know, these, I mean, and they very well might be, these protests may be AstroTurf, you know, being funded by somebody else, but the right makes the same claim about, anytime the left protests, oh, that's George Soros is paying those people to be out there. So yeah, yeah, then you really have to ask yourself if, is anybody really protesting? You know, the, the only real way, and you've already said this, the only real way to protest is to go do the thing that you're being stopped from doing. Right. You know, so, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to march on the Capitol for gun rights. Yeah, they did that in Virginia, and they still passed the same laws the next day. So exactly, that was useless. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like whatever, man. The only way, the only way to do it is to just ignore what they're saying and just go about your life. But in this situation, I mean, most people aren't business owners, so they're they're employees. So they're if their employers are shutting down, then you know they really don't. They don't, what can they do? I mean, they can protest the employer, sure, but I mean, that's not going to help. Yeah. I mean, they can call the employer. I mean, they could contact the employer and say, hey, look, you know, if you want to open up, we'll be there. Right. But but the employer also knows that they signed the contract with the state. Yeah. It's called a corporation or a business license. And come, you know, what comes along with that? Rules and regulations. So, no, they could have their license pulled, and yeah. you know, so. No, you're yeah, right. That's you're right. The, I just one of the reasons I, I one of the reasons I hate corporations is because they're just they're formed so that you can have liability from consequences of things that you do, which basically means that they're a mirror of the state. Right. They want to become just like the state, and you know, so if something goes wrong, 
um, I have protection. So, you know, it's just like the state when they do something wrong. Oh, well, we're the state. We can do whatever the hell we want. Yeah. 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 Well, it, yeah, you're, no, you're right. And I, I just, I just find it really frustrating. I just get really like, man, y'all are just, you're, you're asking permission. Like, just go do it. Just, just go <laughs> like, do whatever you want to do. That's because what are they going to do? You know, what are they going to do? And that's kind of always been my, kind of my mindset. You know, if everybody just quit paying taxes, what are they going to do? You know? Oh yeah. I mean, I've been saying, I've been saying that for 12 years. I've been saying that since one week after I became a libertarian. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, whatever, man, what are they going to do? Well, I got to, um, I got to run. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's been a great hour though, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. No, this was a good talk. It uh, gives, really gives me a chance to get some things off my chest. All right, man. And whenever you get a chance, uh, just send me those links. Oh, yeah. Anything you want to link to? Sure. Yeah, not a problem at all, man. Well, and those PDFs you had told me about, I'll make sure. You oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, send it to you. I'll send it to you as soon as we um, stop recording. All right, brother. Well, you have a good one, man. We'll get off now. All right. You take care of yourself, all right? All right. Later, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries, man. That was Pete Quinones. I am Tommy Salmons. Late.